What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday night edition. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Already coughing. Very professional. No cough button. I'm just jumping right in. We're gonna move past it. Welcome to the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by friend of the pod, one of my favorite NFL writers. He's here all the time. It's Austin Gale of ProFootballFocus.com. Austin, good evening. Happy 2019. Oh, thanks, man. I'm hoping to kick it off right. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Uh, you went back to Oakland. You got to go see... Uh, you, you were in on the Mike Mayock stuff before anybody else you were hanging out at the oakland facility you were uh you were ahead of the curve right uh i wish i wish if i was ahead of the curve it would be nice but uh mike mack news is interesting i think uh not surprised in the slightest i think if you're surprised by any john Gruden move at this point you're just not paying attention i think with the move overall i don't know if it changes much i think adding someone that knows the draft and is a talent evader, a great talent talent evaluator it is very, you know, very good thing to do. But when John Gruden has the final say, he has the final say. So I don't think a lot of things are going to be changing from a decision-making standpoint. I think it's just a face to put in the GM room, wherever that is in Oakland facilities. But the guy who's making the calls is still John Gruden. It's going to be for the next nine plus years if he lasts the whole contract. It's weird because John Gruden. I mean, the Raiders were better down the stretch, and I. I'm still kind of reeling from going through some DVOA stuff on Football Outsiders this morning, like just how much worse the Cardinals were than everybody else in football this year. And you would, I think most people would just assume it was the Raiders, but I mean, they played better down the stretch. Some guys came on, like one of their biggest issues is like one of their best pressure guys can't bring down people. And it drives uh, Paul Gunther insane. Like his quotes about, was it, Arden Key, who just can't seem to actually bring anyone down, he just gets his hands on everybody all the time, and he just never finds a way to bring them down. Like, there are some bright spots down the stretch, and I mean, I'm still pretty dubious about the Raiders' um, future with John Gruden, but I do think, um, if you're a Raiders fan, not getting Bruce Allen away from Washington is a huge win, right? Like, making him stay with his brother in D.C.? (laughs) It seemed like that was my bet. Like, that's what I was expecting is, like, them just offering a grandfather, like, just an insane offer Bruce Allen can't refuse to reunite with 
uh, John Gruden and Mark Davis in Oakland. Like that was my assumption. What was the, where they were going to go? And Mayock seems like it kind of came out of nowhere, but at least it's intriguing, right? Like the John Gruden stuff's kind of terrifying. Like you said, he'll still have final say, but at least Mayock, um, I like listening to him talk about the draft and everything else. So I, I mean, he doesn't like orangutans, which is um, a little suspect because who doesn't like a good orangutan um, popping up on TV? But um, yeah, I guess that's that's where I'm at with it. It's like it's not Bruce Allen. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you if you if it's anything, it puts him on the front runners list for um, hard knocks this offseason. I think they got a yeah. lot of TV personalities. A weird, you know, franchise that we don't even know where they're playing next year. My bet, and I think this is a dark horse bet, and I'm going to stick to it, is that they go to London. I think Mark, Roger Goodell is going to mm. cut Mark Davis a big check to play all his home games in London to kind of use it as a test to see what kind of following they get. Would they fill more seats than stuff up center for the Los Angeles Chargers? I think that Roger Goodell sees that as an opportunity and experiment he's willing to invest in. And you know what Mark Davis is looking for? Money. Anywhere he can get it. He's not going to get it playing in you know, AT&T Park or going to San Diego or starting at UNLV, he's going to get it by taking his team to London. Would, they, would the players like it? No. Would the coaches like it? No. But would Mark Davis take more money? Absolutely. Obviously, it's still a dark horse. Now it involves a lot of crazy things, like where do the players live at that point? But I don't see it as far-fetched as some others do. I could see, like, the dark horse, like, where they play. And this seems like it's not being talked about enough, is, like, the Raiders literally don't have a home next year right now. Um Mexico City, if that field did not, like, if it didn't just unfold the way it did, who was it? The Rams and someone else. Who was in that Monday Night Football game that got canceled or got moved because it was Rams. Who were the Rams playing? Chiefs, right, right, right. And it turned out to be the best move of all time because that was probably the best regular season game of the year. <laughs> and we don't know if that happens, uh, if that game is played on that turf in Mexico City. But um, that seems like the best play to me. How wild would that be? Like, let's just put the Raiders uh, in Mexico City for a season. I like it for the fan base, and I think there is a significant draw for just knowing how many Raiders fans are in Mexico. And when yeah. they've gone there in the past, things have gone well. But you know what hasn't gone well is one, the field quality, and also air quality. There was a big, you know, after the Raiders played there, I think they played the Patriots there not last year, but the year before. There was a lot of the players were saying the air quality was very, very bad, it made it very hard to breathe, and a lot of players came out of that not feeling as good as they did when they went into it. And I think that part of it makes it kind of suspect in terms of making it a long-term home, especially going down to Mexico with where the United States is in Mexico right now. I don't know. I see London being a bigger, a bigger, a bigger opportunity and also for the, for the NFL to kind of really evaluate London's NFL fan base and what it would be like to have an expansion team there and, and go from the NFL to, you know, whatever the world football league. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, the London <laughs> stuff, do you think it's ever going to happen? Do you think we'll eventually have a team in London? It's hard to say. I mean, I think, you know, what always drives those kind of bigger decisions is money. And I think if London has a following that would produce a significant revenue stream for the NFL and Roger Goodell, they're going to pull the trigger. It doesn't matter about feel or if it's possible or, you know, with teams like it, with players like it, it doesn't matter. Whoever's going to, you know, the top down is going to make money. They're going to pull the trigger on it. I think it would be very hard 
for that team to kind of travel to America all the time and, and make those, you know, make those plays. But I think in the long run, if the NFL sees it as a profitable decision, I think they will move that way. And what better way to find out than to kind of put a team there for a year in an opportunity that you really won't get for the foreseeable future and a team not having a home for next season. The decision's made in February, so you'll see what, you know, what has to happen here in the next few months. What would you bet on? I, again, I think I'm betting on the I'm betting on London. I think they're gonna whether so it's they, not just you want it there, but you actually think that's where it's gonna go. They're gonna go to London for a year. I don't want it in London. I think the best place for it to go would be to go to Nevada, try and see if you can get a deal with UNLV. Or just stay right? in Oakland for another year. Is that like off the table? Can they not do that under any circumstances? The the lawsuit, and then also Oakland. I mean, apparently, Mark Davis has withdrawn his offer to to rent out the space for next year. I think he's that those two sides have soured so much that he is ruling out Oakland as an option. So he's looked at AT AT&T park. He's looked at sharing the stadium in Santa Clara. Mm. It's difficult. You know, he's looked at those local options, but seeing London come up on the rumor mill doesn't surprise me in the slightest for what Mark Davis is looking to do. I think the best decision Go to UNLV, try and find a place you can play in Nevada to build that fan base up before you go to Las Vegas kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what, what anyone would do in this situation, go to the place you're moving to so you can start to build up a fan base before the stadium is built. However, that hasn't been the, you know, the leading option. Instead, you've seen London pop up more. You've seen San Francisco pop up more, at and Park. But do the Raiders really want to play in a baseball stadium again? I don't know. And also, you, you, you have the San Francisco 49ers and Oakland Raiders. Neither of them play in either of those cities. Niners play in Santa Clara mm-hmm. and the Raiders play in San Francisco. It's an interesting situation for fans and how to really build the brand. I, I think there's a lot of ways they can go. Where I want them to go, Nevada, of course, I think that's where they'd be the most successful long term. Where I think they're going to go, I think they're going to pull the trigger on London. Man, I'm I'm pulling for Mexico City. Like I think when you talk about the air quality and everything else, I think if you if you're a Raiders fan or you're John Gruden or you're now Mike Mayock and you're looking at how can we win games in 2019 um, (laughs) with the kind of roster issues, what if we played a game where like opposing teams, like, cause they can get used to the poor air quality. Mm -hmm. It could be like a Denver nuggets type deal where (laughs) they can just play to their uh, strengths that use that home field advantage of like, just keep the turf really shitty. Mm. Um, have to like make traveling just a huge pain in the ass for other. Oh, teams. absolutely! Like it would be like the coolest Seattle home field advantage scenario <laughs> of all time. Like imagine the Raiders going eight now at home in Mexico City next year, just because it's so, like the air is awful. Colton Miller becomes like a All Pro left tackle because of it, and everything's great. That's that's what I would do. No team. No team looks the same when they travel to Mexico City. They just play all the best, but they just don't bring their best and they go down yeah. in the air quality bad. I could see it. I mean, I, quarterbacks I don't know. just like refuse I mean, to go. They're like, I can't do it. Like <laughs> Lamar Jackson just says, I, I can't handle that. Like he's just, no, I, I run the ball too much. There's no way I make it through and Joe Flacco has to play or something. Or Robert Griffin has to step in. I'm telling you, man, I think 8 0 in Mexico City is a possibility for Oakland next year. Like I said, I mean, if you're surprised with the decisions being made in Oakland anymore, I, I think you're just, you know, you're uneducated on the situation. I think they're willing to do anything and everything right now, whether it be, a, you know, the right decision or the well thought decision. I think they'll, they'll do anything. And I think Mexico City is a possibility. They're going to look into it and try and do it. Is Derek Carr still a Raider next year? Yes, I, I think okay. so. I, but I do think the possibility of him going away is high. I, I, but I do think in the end, he ends up staying on the roster. 
will he be traded if John Gruden's offered something like a first and a second? I think John Gruden pulls that trigger. I don't think he has any alliance with Derek Carr. He wants to restart at the position. I think he's looking at Ryan Tannehill, a guy he likes that possibly he thinks is an upgrade, even though it's vastly not a very bad no. decision to go in that direction. Yeah. But you, you really don't know. I mean, John Gruden says all this stuff to the media. You know, a couple of days before Amari Cooper was traded, he said he's moving and being the focal point of the offense. You, know, you, say, you, you look at mm. Khalil Mack. He goes into the Oakland you know, big bar called Ricky's Sports Bar, like a dedicated Raiders bar in Oakland for as long as I can remember. Stands up on the table and says, Khalil Mack is staying with us in Oakland. We're going to do everything we can. Trades him like two months later. You don't know with what he says because he always talks about how much he loves Derek Carr and he, he wants to win with Derek Carr. I'm telling you, you know, the right, right. You I know, think he changes team. his mind a lot. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. I mean, he's, he's mentioned that at times in conferences, you know, press conferences where he says, you know, every, you know ch- everything changes so fast in the NFL. Like, yeah. you think one thing, and then someone calls you, and, you know, now you got to make a different decision. You can't keep your loyalty so thick to a point where, you know, you're not willing to do anything, even at the right price. But I think he could easily change his mind on Derek Carr. But I think in the long run, he's not going to get the deal he's looking for for Derek Carr. And he's going to stick with him for at least another year and maybe bring in a quarterback on day two that he can groom behind Derek Carr because the backup situation isn't great either. We'll see. I think Derek Carr ends up staying by default because no team gives him the right price that he's looking for. But I do think if the team, if a team on the off chance does call him with a first and maybe a second, like the Giants, the Jags, maybe the Miami. Giants make the most sense to me. Yeah, I agree. I think he pulls the trigger on that trade. The Giants are kind of screwed because, I mean, uh, Sam and uh, Steve talked about this in the podcast on Monday on uh, the PFF Pro Football podcast that everybody should listen to if they have not already. Um, But I agree with this point that even though Saquon Barkley was better than expected and was kind of like Alvin Kamara at his peak this year, like maybe even a little bit better at times, and he's like an all-world talent, everything else, but it's still, they went, what, 5-11? and 11? There's only so much a running back can still change when you have a quarterback like Eli and just him grading out the way he did, like 60-whatever. Um, he's just still not good, and he's not good enough. And it, you can put OBJ, you can put Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, all of this talent. You can even sign Nate Solder. If your quarterback is just that bad, it just doesn't matter. And them not taking Darnold or Rosen or Lamar, or I'm, I'm still not a Josh Allen believer, but... Um, any of those guys when they did, because like they talked about, you never know if a Justin Herbert's going to stay in school the next year. And then what do you do? The best quarterback prospect in this draft has said, no, I'm, I mean, do you take, do you roll the dice on Will Greer, who I think is probably now the best quarterback option in this draft? I still like Will Greer a lot, but we'll see. Um, I don't know if he's, uh, I don't think he has the upside of Sam Darnold or Lamar Jackson or Josh Rosen, but I think maybe he could be close. Maybe Josh Rosen. I could see Josh Rosen, but, um, Ultimately, they were playing the long game of like, well, we'll get Saquon now, and then the rookie quarterback we do take down the line um, will have all these weapons, so his transition to the NFL game will be easier because we filled out the rest of this roster around him. The problem with that is you, you, it's just never that clean. It's never that easy to just find that kind of quarterback at the right time, and you have to throw a lot of darts at the dartboard and you have to take that yeah. chance when you have the number two pick and that's the highest pick you've had since like 1981 or whatever it is you have to pull the trick on a quarterback regardless of what you saw on tape with Eli and everything else like you just it's the most valuable position in football and you have to take a quarterback it like they just they fucked up and this is something that I don't know if Dave Gutman will ever admit as hilarious as he is in press conferences I just I think ultimately this is a team that messed up in a in a bad way here because are you going Drew Locke 
what are you doing? Are you going to do this another year of Eli and just this bad? Like, I, I don't know how you get around it. So at that point, you're like, well, would you give up a first instead of using it? Instead of reaching on Drew Locke, do you give up a first round pick for Derek Carr? I think if you're the Giants, because you do have so much talent offense, on offensively now, that you probably, I, I would do it, especially with Pat Shermer running the show and having an offensive-minded coach. And you, you could just see it, right? You could see a quick turnaround with Derek Carr where they could compete. I mean, the Eagles just made the playoffs, and it didn't feel like they should. The Redskins were winning the division for most of the year. Like, the <laughs> NFC East is winnable. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I could see Gettleman reaching. I can see them doing all of that. And I think if I'm a Giants fan, I'd rather just have Derek Carr, um, and the potential there than uh, seeing what Will Greer and uh, Drew Locke put out there. Am I crazy? No, not at all. And I think it's not. It's not crazy. You're right. And you look back to what you said. You said it's not easy to get a quarterback. You know, a quarterback that's good in the first round. I'd argue that's the hardest thing to do in the NFL. The hardest right. thing to do in the NFL is to draft a QB that's good. It is the most difficult. One, you have to be lucky enough that you're bad enough to get a high draft pick to be in a situation where you can get one of the top QBs in a draft. Two, they have to pan out. So many variables factor into how a quarterback develops from college level to the NFL level. You look at guys like Mitch Trubisky going from USC. A lot of people liked him. The Bears traded up from number three to number two to get him because they valued him, and he's still struggling to come out of the gate. You look at Patrick Mahomes. She's traded the, you know, the house to go up to top ten and get him because they thought he was valuable and he's panned out. And you, I mean, obviously, talent evaluation is still key in that, but you see time and time again the consensus, number one and number two QB, don't work injuries you know they can't pick up the system it doesn't work they don't have the right talent they end up moving off from him coaching staffs change it's so hard to find a qb and that's why when you're in a position to get a good one a really good one in a deep qb class at number two overall you have to do it you can't afford it. especially if your other option is to go after a running back a running back is the least valuable position in football if i was a gm in the nfl i said this the other day in the office i don't think i'd ever have a running back on my roster that wasn't on a rookie contract it makes no sense to sign any running back at four million plus a year when you can get that replaceable position in the draft or even undrafted going back to you know that quarterback and you look in the giants I think if you don't like the guys in this class, if you don't want to take a Drew Locke, a Dwayne Haskins if he comes out, or Will Greer high in the draft, do make a push for Derek Carr. If you like Derek Carr more than anybody in this, in this class, he's still young. You can get him for a first rounder probably if you give Gruden the right call. And then next thing you know, you're able to compete in an NFC East, like you said, is wide open. The Eagles don't have a firm hold on it. Dak and the Cowboys don't have a firm hold on it. And Josh Johnson of the San Diego fleet definitely doesn't have a hold on it for Washington Redskins. I think you can make a push in the NFC East with the right QB. And if you'd like Derek Carr more than these other guys, which I think a lot of teams would, then I think you pull the trigger if you can compete next year. Yeah. And it should be interesting to see what they do. I, I'm intrigued because that team kind of, they had a good second half, the kind of second half you're looking for if you're a Giants fan. that like It's trending up. Pat Shermer seems like the right fit there. Um, but I don't know. How would you rank? Um, I wrote about this today. How would you rank... Um, the he- available head coaching jobs right now in the NFL because Daniel Jeremiah, I respect a lot. I love him and Bucky on Move the Sticks. He had Arizona in the top four, and I almost fell out of my chair. I don't <laughs> understand how that's possible. I, I don't know. Like, I outlined it in my piece I wrote that you can check out on chasingmospodcast.com, but I think that's the worst job in football by far. Like, that, that roster, the turnover they've had in the last two years from when they were competing for a Super Bowl. we It's easy to forget that this Cardinals team with Carson Palmer and Clayus Campbell and Tyron Matthew and everybody else just a few years ago 
were some they were getting preseason Super Bowl love. That w- that was the thing that was happening, and everything's changed. And that NFC West, it's a bloodbath right now. I don't see the Rams going anywhere anytime soon. You have to deal with Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Pete Carroll six times a season. Why would you want that? Why would you want to go into a situation where you're like uh, Josh Rosen regressed as the season went along? It's the worst offensive line in football. Like Vikings fans are even probably like at least, hey, at least we don't have the Cardinals offensive line where they're starting Andre Smith and a bunch of other cast offs like Justin Pugh and just it. It's amazing what they were trotting out of the offensive line in that I think they gave up like 200 and something pressures. This season and the Bears had the best uh, offensive line in that regard because I think there's like 107 or something like that total pressures given up like it's an awful job I, I don't know why unless I'm getting like a 10-year contract like John Gruden in full control like McCarthy <laughs> is like I'm only taking this if I know I'm getting five years at minimum because Steve Wilkes got fired basically because he came in at the wrong time like the offense being as bad as it was does fall on him because of the approach that they had and um, just how much they've invested in that group with Josh Rosen and uh, David Johnson and everything and Christian Kirk that for Kirk to be that bad Rosen be about that bad you just can't in today's NFL you just can't do that and I, I he got kind of it's so tough but he got fired for one year because that roster was so bad no one's winning with that roster this year like they were going to be bad no matter what um and then you don't know what's going to happen with Steve Kime. You don't know, like, he's on, like, this is coach number three. What if he gets, like, there are just so many red flags with this Cardinals job that I was just, I was floored. Am I am I crazy for thinking that is clearly the worst job in football right now? No, not at all. I think I wouldn't touch Arizona with a 10-foot pole if I was a young and up-and-coming coach. That you, you're, yes. you're going somewhere where even in, two or three years, it's going to be very hard to win in that division. There's a lot of good talent from coaching side and other players in the NFC West that you're going to see the Seahawks, you know, even maybe the Niners and Jimmy Grapple can bounce back and the Rams be good for a very long time, at least the yes. three, next three to five years. And you're going to have to deal with that. In addition, to, like you said, worst offensive line in football, you know, you're, you're, the defense is regressing and has older players, not a lot of young talent that you can get excited about. And a running back that David Johnson, I really hasn't been able to come back to form. I think you can blame that on the offensive line. I still think he's talented, but at the same time, you know, that, that his, his motor is running too. And I think, there's not a lot to like about the roster. There's not a lot to like about the situation to a point where you look at other jobs. I would take even, you know, looking at Miami, you know, uh, Tampa Bay, you know, Cincinnati, all those look a lot better. I think the best, yes. but, you know, job is New York. I don't think that's even hard. Going to Sam, okay. get Sam Darnold on your side. I like Robbie Anderson. I know he's a restricted free agent, but you mm. can get him, re-sign him. That defense is getting better, I think. I think the linebackers getting better. The corners are starting to find something there. There, there are a couple... I think there are a couple pieces away. I think the offensive line can improve. Running back, they can throw anyone back there. Elijah McGuire was able to have success with them. I don't even want to worry about that position. Invest in the offensive line. Maybe add one, maybe not Christian Herndon as his second best weapon. Give Sam Darnold another weapon and improve the defense here and there. They can p- compete there. Obviously, you're playing in a division that's been dominated by the Patriots for, the, for as long as I can really remember. But I think you're in, I think you're in a position with Sam Darnold that there's, there's a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract Therefore, you can build that roster, get a talented roster around him, and get to a point where you're competing in the AFC. Other places, I think you're dealing with a quarterback where you don't know if you like him. Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston. I'm not ready to commit to any of those guys. Maybe Dalton, if I had to choose one. With Darnold, I'm ready to bet on Darnold on his rookie contract and take that team up. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting you brought up the Bengals too, because I think I would be tempted to say that's the best job and people are probably going to scoff at that of like, oh, Mike Brown and the Bengals, ha ha ha. But you know, you know, if you're a head coaching candidate and you're like, since he's going to keep me for like 10 years, I'm going to get some time. Like I can, like that roster is not bad. They just got destroyed by injuries. People forget how quickly, like what that Bengals team was doing with Eifert with Croft, with Dalton, with Ross, with Mixon, with that entire group, they traded for Cordy Glenn. Like, that offensive line was better. The offense with Bill Lazor, I mean, my thing, I what I think the Bengals should do is just promote Bill Lazor and hire Vance Joseph and Joe Woods to run the defense and go from there. Like, that's what I would do. I wouldn't mess with much because there's a lot of talent. They just need to get healthy, and they need to re- replenish that defense. And that secondary, they've invested a lot of resources in Denard and everybody else back there that, like, I think they need to just hire someone who's experienced in uh, kind of what they do with Terrell Austin, but just a better version. And I think Joe Woods and Vance Joseph, that the strength of the Broncos um, the last two years have been uh, Chris Harris and that group, the no fly zone. Like I would do something like that where I would bring both of those guys in if possible. And I would just promote Bill Lazor because I think what he did in his adjustments to Andy Dalton, um, getting the ball out in two seconds or less and kind of learning what to work with what you have and those guys getting older and just when they're all healthy, that's a really good team. I mean, they were a Super Bowl contender just a few years ago and the Bengals have had a lot of talent in the past. They just got um, a lot of skill players taken away and Marvin Jones, Whitworth and everybody else and they kind of um, were not ready for that lack of depth um, to hit them and they have the worst linebacking core in football, which I think we've talked about before and um, I don't know. I think if I'm a coach where I'm like, I know I'll get time. I may not love Andy Dalton, but it's one of those Minnesota Vikings type deals where I know he's firmly in that middle tier. I know I have talent. I know I'm going to get time. I know this organization is going to back me for a while. I, I don't know. I feel like that's the most appealing to me. The Packers job would scare the crap out of me because we don't know. Aaron Rodgers is what, 36? And <laughs> you're getting I, like, up there. we don't really know who's running the Packers right now with Murphy and Gutenkunst. And uh, just that job just scares me. Like there's, it's kind of weird, but I would, I would be very nervous about the Green Bay job. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I might be crazy on that one to overthink the Green Bay job, but it would, it, I don't think it's as lucrative as people make it seem. The Miami job, I think is like the wild card, really good one because if they got a good quarterback, that team's going 10 and six, like every year with their skill position players, like their offense fell apart. Once Tannehill kind of got hurt. I mean, he started off with like three and one, but once their two speedsters, Albert Wilson and, uh, Jakeem Grant went down, that was it. Like those were their guys and they were just destroying defenses with stills, um, Grant and, uh, Wilson. And once those guys got hurt, it was like, Oh, but their offensive line's good. They have talent there. They've invested there. I think Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be a star in the secondary for a long time. They have talent in the secondary. Um, they're obviously have some work to do with their pass rush and that kind of stuff. But the Dolphins job, I think is actually pretty tantalizing if you get the right quarterback in there. And cause I think there is a lot of talent around them. Um, but I, I don't know. Am I overthinking all this? Do you agree with any of that? I think I'm so scared of the Miami job because the if you mentioned about if getting you get a good quarterback is so huge. I, you know, it's hard to even think of a quarterback they could target. You know, maybe they make yeah. a trade for Derek Carr. That no one on free agency is someone I'm going to fall in love with. And you look back at this quarterback class, I don't really like anyone there either. And even, and even yeah. if you get the best quarterback in this class, 
I think he's going to take a year, maybe two, to develop. And then there you go, losing weapons. Defense gets older. Cameron Wake gets older. That gets so much harder to win with that team. I, I, do, I do think right now they have a lot of talent. The surrounding pieces are great. I love Xavier Howard. I think Fitzpatrick on the defense. Cameron Wake is still getting it done. You go on the offensive side, I think Kenyon Drake needs to be used more. It was criminal to see him used as, as infrequently as he was. Even when Frank Gore went down, them opting for Kalen Bellagio or Kenyon Drake yeah. really was bewildering to me. I think give him more snaps. Look at wide receiver. I think Albert Wilson and Keen Grant are good pieces. I would like to see a number one wide receiver there, a game changer there. Well, he tried it with but, Devontae Parker, and it's just never worked. No, not at all. I think they also have to move on from him and try and find somebody that's better. Find a guy that you can give you know, 100 targets a year and really thrive with. Now, outside mm-hmm. of that, though, again, the quarterback position, you know, not having a quarterback you're ready to get behind is the scariest thing to do when you jump in as a new head coach. And you, you're not sure how long you're going to get there and how long it's going to take to find one, given the current crop of you know, quarterbacks in the class and the current crop of free agent quarterbacks. Unless you're, you know, that GM is willing to make a big trade for Derek Carr and and try and build around him and, and maybe win, you know, 10, 9, 10 games and sneak into the playoffs? I don't know. I'm not ready to go into Miami unless they have a really good plan about getting a QB on that roster. Because if you don't have one, your first two years are probably going down the drain, and next thing you know, you're cut. Yeah. Matt Stafford? Ooh, I, I like Matt Stafford. I, again, though, I think there's been so many times where you say the defense has gotten better. Maybe he's got a run game with on Johnson, but he still falls short for me. He makes too many turnover-worthy throws. That line was in the really clutch. bad this year, <laughs> and that the Jim Bob Cooter regression this year. No one saw that coming. They even kept him around to make the offense uh, um, just easier for him with Matt Patricia coming over, and it it backfired in a major way. I don't know. I yeah. could see Stafford having like a cool second life in Miami, kind of like what they did with Drew Brees back in the day when they tried to do that with uh, Nick Saban and it fell through. And obviously um, it's worked out pretty well for Drew in New Orleans. But uh, the Dolphins are a team I could see doing something like that, like trading for him or signing Joe Flacco. I don't think they're going to go the development route after how this Tannehill stuff has unfolded. If they move on from Tannehill, I think they're um, going to go the uh, veteran route. You see, you know, the Miami reported that they are going to be moving on from Ryan Tannehill this offseason. Yeah. And I think with such an early report, those sources have something in the works. They're thinking about making a splash move because there's no way this early in the decision-making process, you're like, yes, we're moving on from him and we're going to hope we find a good QB in the draft. There's just no way. I think they are in a position where they're looking at, you know, a big trade from a, you know, Stafford or you even look at other guys around the league. Derek Carr is obviously a name you mentioned. They have to have a plan to get a new guy in there because I think, like you said, I, I think they have similar opinion of their roster. I think they like the guys they have on defense. I think they can win with the offensive line and the play they have at the running back position, but they know they need a QB and I think they're going to have to make an aggressive move to get one. Yeah. Um, last thing, and then we'll go. What do you make of the Antonio Brown stuff today? He's doing videos with James Harrison. People are turning on him. Ryan Clark just went nuclear <laughs> on ESPN over him. Uh, there's mixed reports about the trade stuff. Some people are like, it's not happening. You'll see it. He does this every year. He'll be back next fall. And we also know the money aspect that makes this all very complicated, the amount of dead money that they would have. They moved him and everything else. Um, it seems like he's getting a lot of the flack, and it's actually good for Ben Roethlisberger because he was uh, under the radar, not very good this year, and uh, making Antonio Brown the scapegoat here and not being a team guy and everything else. Like he was still really good. Like you want Antonio Brown on your team because he's a really good professional football player, and the Steelers are a lot worse if Antonio Brown is not on this roster. I think he is. Um, like Le'Veon Bell is one thing, but uh, I think Antonio Brown is a different thing entirely. And I, I don't, it's, it's interesting. 
for sure. Maybe for Mike Tomlin's sanity, it might be best to move on and like shake things up because I still can't imagine what he's dealing with on a daily basis with just everything in that locker room. But I, uh, I don't know. I think it's, it's fascinating, but I would keep him um, at the very least. Without too much speculation and looking at the off-field stuff, I think Antonio Brown needs a change of scenery that he's not going Ooh, to get. Okay. I mean, I, I, I think he needs a change of scenery to, you know, to get back on. I think that locker room is just really starting to crumble. When you, I think the Le'Veon Bell situation was obviously different. He wanted more money or else he wasn't going to play. Antonio Brown sounds like he's disgruntled with Ben Roethlisberger and maybe other people in the locker room. Give him a new change of scenery, but I don't think, you know, the the... the Steelers brass are going to do that. I, I think they had a chance to do that with Le'Veon Bell. They didn't. They had a chance to do that with Antonio. They have a chance to do that with Antonio Brown. And I don't think they will. But would I like to see him go somewhere else? I think absolutely. I think you don't want players like that in your locker room. You don't want players that are stirring up stuff with your key leaders. And when, when he was a key leader, having that kind of presence, I think that's when you start to see things go well, down. Not according to Ryan Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, true. Very true. I, I think uh, blaming Antonio Brown for this is, is not what I'm getting at. I think blame, mm-hmm. but the locker room dysfunction is a part of not what maybe what Antonio Brown's starting, but it's there. And I think it will be there for as long as Antonio Brown's there or Ben Roethlisberger is there or other guys that are starting it. You know, w- moving Antonio Brown to where he wants to go if he did request a trade. I obviously some say he did, some say he didn't. I think it makes sense. I think you don't want your locker room, regardless of what the source is, if you're so unwilling to trade away the source, whether it's Ben Rothsford or other players in the roster, trade away a guy that's upset with the source, get something in return, and, and that way it works out best for both sides. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They're another team kind of in that weird zone where it's like they can't really move on from Ben as he's regressing, and like this is not the draft to do that. Um uh you just you're waiting for it to really burst but i just don't see it bursting in pittsburgh and i if they make the playoffs are we really having this conversation um i think their main focus and my if i'm a pittsburgh fan my biggest fear is losing mike munchak this offseason because he's been the un like that defense obviously the keith butler jokes speak for themselves but like Without him these last couple of years, who knows if Ben Roethlisberger is still playing. Like, what he's <laughs> done for that offensive line with DeCastro and everyone there, like, they, they went under the radar. Villanueva, all those guys became household names because of Munchak. Like, that offensive line used to be terrible. He comes in, and it's a total 180 because they invested so many picks in that offensive line that, like, I just... It would it would make me very nervous if they moved if he took the other job like what this looks like next year if they lose him and Bell's gone obviously and just a lot of turnover like I'm in if I'm a Pittsburgh fan I'm like whatever Colbert's got to do however much of a race he has to give Munchak to stay in uh, Pittsburgh you got to do it I think he's a Pennsylvania native so I guess that helps but. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the real storyline we're not talking about enough. It's Munchak taking these head coaching interviews, and it's like, oh, God, the Steelers lose him. That, uh, that's <laughs> and, a problem. And good offensive line coaches are hard to find. Yes, and, and I just think you look Minnesota. around the league. Yeah, oh, yeah, you look at, you look at Oakland. You know, hiring Tom Cable yeah. in as a household name, and that offensive line has gone, gone from one of the best in the league in 2016 to easily one of the worst with three of the same well, players. Well, hold on. That, if it was Tom Cable's fault, then the Seahawks' offensive line would not have improved a lot this year. Oh, wait, hold on. Exactly, and Seahawks' offensive line improves with a bunch of players that no one really has even heard of or castaways. I mean, DJ Fluker has improved. You know, Pochich is giving them good good returns. Somebody, somebody that, when you look at those reports, that Tom 
Tom Cable was trying, they had to push Tom Cable away from Pochich so they, that he wouldn't know that they were targeting him. There was some like inter disgruntled, like about like him, Tom Cable being involved and in bringing in Pochich. It, it was crazy to see what was happening in Seattle and in Tom Cable's years there because he has such big pull, you know, when they brought in a Fetty and when, and when they brought in other offensive, ta- you know, other offensive linemen, they're high draft picks that did not pan out. And you let the same thing has happened in Oakland. I love Colton Miller giving it. I love Brandon Parker. Let's do it. Both those guys start all year, and they're all among the worst offensive tackles in the NFL. I mean, it's very difficult to have a good offensive line with Tom Cable at the helm right now, given his track record. All you can speak to is the play of the offensive line he's coached, and all of them have been very, very bad. Regardless of the scheme he draws up, and yes, maybe he's, you know, the run-blocking scheme is correct, but he's not able to coach technique correctly. He's not able to improve these offensive line guys enough for them to really have success, as we've seen with Seattle and now Oakland. Yeah. All right, Austin. Well, this has been great. As always, I think we could talk about football all day. Um, what do you have coming out this week at ProFootballFocus.com? Uh, releasing all pro team. I think we released that okay. this week, and we also release our all rookie team tomorrow, which will be exciting. Looking at the, you know the most talented rookies around here, I can give you a hint. Mark Andrews will be the tight end on the all rookie mm. team. He ended up grading okay. very well, better than the guy the Ravens drafted in the first round that I think is nearing retirement already at 27, 28 years old. I lose track. But Mark Andrews has had an exciting season. He's a guy that I really like coming out of Oklahoma. It's great to see him translate that in the NFL. I'm excited to see him in the postseason with Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's any, he's, he's no Crockett Gilmore for me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I do love a Crockett Gilmore. a fantasy week. Dude, I, I'm a Crockett Gilmore lifer. He had like a 35-point fantasy week a couple years ago. Um, I picked him up off the waiver wire. I was like, there's just something about tight ends in Baltimore. Tie. They have this weird revolving door where like Todd Heap and like Ed Dixon, and they just have these weird Max guys pop in and out. Yeah. They've had it works. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but it just works. I mean, they're doing the same thing in the running back now with moving on from um, the flavor of the month last year, flavor of the year, I should say, and Alex Collins. And it's now your dude that uh, I believe you like a lot, correct? No, yeah. I, I like Gus Edwards. I like Gus Edwards yeah. a ton. I also like Kenneth Dixon a lot. I think both yeah. those guys. He can Kenneth stay healthy. Dixon, yeah, Kenneth Dixon coming out of La Tech was a, I was a huge fan. The, the dude forced missed tackles like no other. He's starting to do that now, now that he's healthy. But Gus Edwards came out of nowhere. You know, former Miami, Florida running back that wasn't getting the touches he wanted, ended up transferring to Rutgers does okay in pro football focus system grades all right but then just comes down in the in the uh, in the ravens run scheme and is able to force missed tackles and have the yards and the contact numbers he's having he's a load to bring down too the more you watch him and be like wow this guy's kind of huge and he's like bulldozing over people i love watching a good running back like that and i think that's what works it's been exciting and really been a great compliment to lamar jackson in a run heavy offense yeah last thing then we'll go Le'Veon bell is a Ooh, i think he's an oakland raider I think Le'Veon oh. Bell signs oh. the Oakland Raiders. There's Is one he old coach enough? Left. Doug Martin had like a hundred yard game to close the year. I think you uh, do it. I think you run it back with the hamster, the muscle um, hamster. No, not a chance. I think there's only one regime left that values the running back position enough to pay him eight, nine million a year. And I think it's John Gruden in the silver and black. I could easily see Le'Veon Bell getting exactly the money he wants with the Oakland Raiders because of how much they still value running backs and want to be back in 1998. Okay, I'm gonna guess Philly. Wow. Okay. I like that. I think Philly is just going to do something weird like that. They're just, I mean, the, the Adam stuff has worked, but I don't know. They've relied on Darren Sproles a lot late. I don't see Roseman like investing a, they've done it with LeGarrette Blunt. Like they're not afraid to go 
I, I don't know. I could see McCoy back in Philly too next year, so maybe that's what it is. But uh, I think Le'Veon and uh, that group would be be fun. It, it, it would uh, add more intrigue to the Philly-Pittsburgh stuff. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Going to Philly, that would, that'd be fun. Uh, but anyway, like I said, we could talk about football all day. But Austin, I really do appreciate it. We can follow you on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale um, and read you every day at ProFootballFocus.com. Austin, it's always a pleasure. And uh, I will talk with you very soon. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, we're back on the Chase Norse podcast, and I am now joined by longtime friend of the pod of the DailyNorseman.com. He's still reeling from the Minnesota Vikings missing the playoffs once again and very sad circumstances, very depressing circumstances. I unfortunately had to watch the majority of that game and just keep waiting for it to happen. And, uh, you know, at the very, I think we can at least admit it was nice to see Kirk Cousins. Um, find a way to um, not only try and lead his team to the playoffs, but also um, Adam Thielen to go run the correct routes <laughs> for Kirk Cousins so he can get him that football, right? Yeah, it, was, it just went, uh, just, everything went according to plan, especially both games against the Bears this season. It seemed like that offense just, they couldn't be stopped. <laughs> oh my God. So I... There's so much to unpack with this Vikings team because the Falcons, I feel like it's a very easy situation to diagnose. Um, what happened there, they got destroyed by injuries. They don't have the depth that they claim to have before the year of like, oh, this is the best roster in football, right. blah, 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 top to bottom. And they lose Deion Jones and a couple other guys. And that's that. Um, it's a little bit different <laughs> for Minnesota because I... This team, like, weirdly, they started off slow defensively. And I want to get your opinion on this because George Edwards is getting head coaching looks as of uh, this recording. And that was one of the bigger things when you're watching them early on. You're like, what's going on here? They've invested a lot in the cornerback position, the back of the just with Harrison Smith and everybody else. And you're like, okay, this should be better. And obviously, the Everson Griffin stuff, I think, played a role a little bit as well. But like, this defense was not. Like the, the they were not the number one defense in football again, and it's really hard to replicate. I understand that, but like this kind of team, and when you have a mid tier quarterback like Kirk Cousins, um, which I don't think is a slight, I I, mm-hmm. I like Kirk Cousins, but it's just you have to kind of look at him in that Andy Dalton uh, fold, where it's like if you have the right pieces around him, if he's in the right incubator, you can win a Super Bowl with him. Like Andy Dalton, the Bengals could have won the Super Bowl three or four years ago right that year where he got hurt and they had to start aj mccarron in that awful home wild card game against the steelers that they lost but um because the afc was wide open that year and you never know and minnesota had a great shot last year but i i, I digress the vikings defense was the first thing that stood out to me of like oh if that defense had not gotten off to the start they did um they would not have been in the hole that they kind of were is that fair yeah, but I mean, it wasn't like the offense was lighting the world on fire either. And right. and the defense eventually turned it around. The offense, especially yes. in that last game, never did. But I do agree with you. It was a much slower start. And regression was bound to happen, A, because they were the number one defense last year. And B, 
they were the healthiest defense by a long shot last year. I think yes. I think Sendejo missed a couple games last year, and as far as starters go, I think that's pretty much it. There might have been one or two other games, but of course, now this year they had the Everson Griffin situation where he missed several games. Sendejo missed most of the season. He's probably done as a Viking. Um, it, it, they had player, you know, Xavier Rhodes missed the last game, and that was turned out to be very important, especially in that deep touchdown or the deep near touchdown yep. the Bears scored. But yeah, it was uh, kind of. Um, you know, it. I didn't think they were going to regress that much, especially at the beginning of the season. That was kind of, I don't really know. That was pretty inexplicable. The Bills game, you can just tell their heads weren't in it. And it was probably because of the Griffin thing. But even so, it was the Bills at home. And they just didn't show. Yeah. And it was just kind of... Um, this team, it was the classic kind of mediocre team. Is that They were up by 10 points. They looked like an amazing team. But if they were down by 10 mm-hmm. points... You, you could basically hang it up. You literally could because every time the Vikings uh, fell behind by double digits, they end up not winning the game. The only one where they didn't lose was that crazy week two tie against the Packers. So, so were you watching though those games? And you were—is it something Kirk Cousins did? Because that's the easy talking point of like Kirk Cousins cannot play from behind. He's not going to lead you on a big time comeback down twenty-one nothing. But then again, neither was Case Keenum. Right. Neither was Teddy Bridgewater. Neither, and I love Teddy. We'll ride for Teddy till the end of time. It's not like Kirk Cousins is all that different than the quarterbacks that have been before him. I think the only difference is he got $80 million guaranteed. But did you, when you're watching these games as a fan, as an analyst, were you thinking to yourself, Kirk Cousins can't do this? Were you writing down notes of like, oh, Cousins did that. He didn't take a shot there. Is he like refusing to take chances when he's down? And that's why, like, what did you see this year when they fell behind that, um, they just couldn't come back. Is there anything in particular? Was it a Cousins thing? Was it um, the offensive play calling? What was it? I think it, I, the the woes of this team still have to start with the offensive line. It was kind of the Achilles heel for this team going into the season before left guard, the starting left guard, Nick Easton, got hurt. And before Elfline, Pat Elfline, their center, who started all year but definitely wasn't as good as his rookie year because – he um, was out with pretty serious injuries basically the entire preseason and never really caught up. Uh, Mike Rimmers was still what he was. He was He's a much better right tackle than a right guard, but he played right guard all season. And Riley Reef again, was another one of those uh, pieces that the Vikings probably might have overpaid for a little bit. But given the situation when they signed him, it seemed like a pretty good deal. Again, he wasn't... Teams just have to do yeah. that. Like the Giants did it with Nate Solder because they're like, we just can't have Eric Flowers out there again. Exactly. Like you overpay for mediocrity. Well, and Sometimes you have to do yeah, that. Yeah, the Vikings couldn't have people like TJ Clemmings out there again. You know, it was yeah. this, that kind of thing. And it, You just invested $80 million in Kirk <laughs> Cousins. You can't... Uh, <laughs> right. Well, and it's still... And he still turned out to be the most pressured quarterback in the NFL. And I think... Yeah. Um, one thing that... I kind of noticed it in training camp, and I noticed it throughout the season as well. The The big knock I would have on Cousins, I think he's a brilliant quarterback at reading defenses before the snap and knowing how plays are supposed to unfold. But when it doesn't happen the way that he thinks it's going to happen, that's where he gets in trouble, especially compared to someone like Keenum, who I don't think the Vikings would have any better record with this season. But that's another yeah. di- digression. But I think... I mean, I think you have to mention that with this whole conversation right, of like the was, people who are ripping Kirk Cousins. You're like, do you really think that if they had just kept Keenum that this season goes differently? I, I don't... Did you see what he did in Denver this year? Yeah. I, I don't... I don't know. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, they weren't going to go thirteen and three again just based on their schedule right. alone and their health last year. It was bound, they were bound 
take a step back. This big of a step back, I think, caught everyone by surprise, including myself. I thought they'd be around that, maybe the 10 and 6, you know, they'd be competing with Green Bay for a division title, and that was obviously yeah. incredibly wrong. Hey, sides. man, I had Green Bay in the Super Bowl. I mean, half of my Super Bowl pick is still alive. I had Chargers, <laughs> Packers, but... I have I had uh, Chargers, Saints before, so I'm I'm sitting okay right now. Mm. I still don't think... That- See, I left the Saints stuff. I predicted them to win the division last year mm-hmm. when no one was catching on to that. I'm like, I don't know. I like this too. I like Sean Payton with this group michael thomas is a freaking nature dennis allen's just gonna blitz a lot there's some young greg williams vibes going on there they're gonna score 45 i love their offensive line they have the two best tackles like the best tackle combination i think in football with armstead yep. and uh or Regin- is it reginzik i think it's reginzik yeah, maybe on the yeah, left right side. yeah but they're both first round picks and they're both just anchors and that team is just so perfectly put together but um yeah no i uh saints Chargers is a very good pick, and that seems pretty likely. And Philip Rivers versus Drew Brees. That would be a lot of fun. Here for well, it. I mean, you can't really go wrong with most of the AFC quarterbacks in it this year. That That's that's a True. blast, but um, I, I've, I'm sure the odds-on favorite right now is Chief Saints, and you can't really argue against that too much. But it would be fun I just just to see Philip Rivers. I'm always a sucker for teams that have never won it before. That's why I was rooting for your Falcons so hard a couple of years back. Is this the, the teams that win their first one that gives me a little bit of hope that the Vikings could do it eventually? Well, hey, they interviewed Mike Malarkey <laughs> this week, so the Falcons are on their way back. Yes, they are. Yeah, well, the Vikings are interviewing uh, Hugh Jackson for offensive coordinator apparently. So. Why was that a shocker? He worked with know, Mike Zimmer in Cincinnati. Just, Cincinnati he's, Zimmer is a Cincy lifer. He's, he's so poisonous, though. I, again, it's I understand that he was a much better offensive coordinator when he had that position than head yeah. coach, but it, I just I can't get you can't get that stink off of him the last five six years. I can't separate the two. I saw I saw all hard knocks. I saw what a anti leader yeah. he is. But um, again, yeah, I mean, I just. I couldn't handle that after the season they had. And if they go in that, do you think they should keep Stefanski? I wouldn't be opposed to it just because he's so familiar okay. with, um, the, I mean, he's been with the team for a dozen years and again, I, I would like, uh, them to bring in, I wouldn't mind him going into the college ranks if they had like, uh, a couple, you know, the Oklahoma coach or someone in, in that, um, vein to some, to, I don't know how uh, well it would go. Kingsbury, yeah. you're just like, hey, pull him away because he's doing head coaching interviews. But then again, I don't think he would leave USC now unless he got a head coaching offer. It's really right. strange. He took that job and now he's taking head coaching interviews. I, he's hard to read. Lincoln Riley made it clear that like he's staying. He's had the contract extension. It seems like he genuinely wants to stay at Oklahoma until he can win a national title. And then he'll probably start yep. sniffing around more and getting more serious about moving on. But um, Kingsbury is fascinating. I mean, I it would be an absolute dumpster fire to hire him as your head coach in 2018 or 2019 now. But um, as an offensive coordinator, yeah. I My thing is like, I think if Bill Lazor is not retained by the new coaching staff in Cincinnati, I think that's who I would target if I'm um, Minnesota. I love Lazor. And what he was doing with Dalton right. before everybody got hurt and there's a familiarity there. He's like the perfect, cur- like Bill Lazor to me seems like the perfect uh, mid-tier quarterback whisper, where it's like, <laughs> give him Ryan Tannehill, give him Andy Dalton, give him Kirk Cousins, and he'll find magic. That ball, you know what Andy Dalton did behind a bad offensive line? Um, that uh, Bill Ezer stepped in and was like, we're not doing this anymore? Right. Like, they orchestrated the Mike D'Antoni offense for Andy Dalton, where it's like, we're going so college with Mixon, Ross, and all these guys, and we're getting the ball out in a few seconds because you don't have time. You don't have time for these routes to develop. You don't have time to take these long drops. And it worked right. before Eifert and that whole team died. 
and and I their entire defense the too. Yeah, do the same kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing that you have to do these days is if you if you have to coach. I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but it's you have to coach to your players' strengths and hide their weaknesses. Yeah. That's what the Patriots have done for twenty plus years. Yes, they have Brady and Belichick, but Belichick is one of the greatest at um, hiding what his team does poorly and accentuating what his team does well. And when you have a team like the Vikings, were that weren't very good at offensive line before a couple of key injuries. Yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't as bad as the old Norv Turner 2016 where they were still having Bradford take seven-step drops most of the time. Oh, my God. But, I mean, yeah. But it was it, it was still – and it it was – for me, between Zimmer and DeFilippo, it seemed to be more of a philosophical thing where DeFilippo really wanted to do a lot of kind of out-of-the-box, um, you know, look at me, this is my stepping stone – to a head coaching position and Zimmer as old school as he is kind of wanted just the bread and butter plays. Give me what works, you know, don't try yeah. to wow him too much. And of course, you know, it makes me a little nervous how Zimmer has rightfully said he wanted to be more involved in the offense because he is the head coach. He's not just the defensive coordinator anymore, but when they were down at halftime and he came back to Aaron Andrews and told it, told her that uh, they wanted to run more in the second half, <laughs> that kind of was also, it gave me a little bit of pause. Mm-hmm. So they need to find someone that can either convince Zimmer that his system is going to work and then get on the same page or just match Zimmer's philosophy because obviously what DeFilippo was doing didn't work on a, on a number of different levels. And Stefanski showed it you know, against a couple of bad teams. But again, two of the three games that he was offensive coordinator, the Vikings didn't get a first down until halfway through the second quarter. So I'd be open to interviewing more. Not great. Yeah, not great. Um, so I'd, I'd take a look at Stefanski. I think it's laser time. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's, of all the names, that's the suggestions. I, I kind of like that one. You could bring Daryl Bevel back, so the Falcons don't hire him. Uh, no, we're good. We were good with him. We, okay. we, we What's have, Brad Childress up to these um, days? Coaching? He's yes. coaching the Atlanta AAF. Yes, team. he is. He's he's busy. He's got that new league to, to mm-hmm. before it folds in two seasons. There you- <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be wild. Um, yeah, I I don't know the 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 Viking stuff, and then there's the elf in the room. We haven't even talked about it because it's such an uncomfortable conversation to have. But I think you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Was that the Sprano stuff? Right. Like. It's really hard to find a good offensive line coach in the NFL. Only a few teams have one. And the Vikings had a really good one. And there's nothing they could do about that. It's a really sad, awful situation. And we didn't really talk about, like, this offensive line fell off a cliff. And you, I feel like it's fair to wonder if this offense doesn't do that if Sprano doesn't pass away, right? That's an absolutely fair question. And talking to, or you're seeing people talk to the players and coaches throughout the season, especially, I mean, the timing of it too. It was right as, I think they actually yeah. pushed back training camp starting a day because of the his funeral. So, that, I mean, that was just right as you're ramping up for the season to have something like that happen. And Sprano was much more than just a position coach on the Vikings. He was kind yeah. of um, a, one of a, uh, Andy Carlson, who does a, a Vikings podcast, he he called he called him his uh, consigliere. I, th- I think that was a pretty good word for him. He was really yeah. uh, he was kind of Zimmer's right hand man, especially on that offensive side. They had you know they had, they're both Parcells guys, right? right? And they and they were that. both the you know they're both that gruff, straight out of central casting, you know, to get yeah. into it kind of coaches. And I think it it really hit the team hard. And the offensive line said especially you know and they. The offensive line was kind of done. They filled his spot kind of by committee with existing position coaches. And, you, yeah, you have to wonder. I, I don't think they were going to be the best unit in the league by 
any stretch of the imagination, no matter who's coaching them. But again, this offensive line didn't need to be top of them. They didn't need to be the old Cowboys lines. They just needed to be good enough to give Cousins some time. And when you look at the pressure numbers, they definitely weren't good enough. And Cousins, is, like you said, it's it's not really a knock on him. He kind of is who he is. He'll get your numbers, but he's not that top-tier quarterback who's going to change games for you by himself. So I think the Vikings' main focus in this offseason has to be getting an offensive line that's a lot better and getting the pieces around Cousins because you're stuck with him for the next two years because those next two guaranteed years aren't going anywhere. And they're not going to be bad. That's the other thing. It's like they're going to be Cousins is going to keep you afloat. He's he's too consistent, like you said, where he like overthinks everything he knows or everything's supposed to go. But that's also a problem when you're playing from behind. Is it, that's when you have to improvise. Yep. That's when you have to go kind of like Brett Farvian and just kind of figure stuff out and try stuff out and take risks and do whatever it takes to get you back in the game. The Mahomes stuff where it feels like they, they could be down 28 points and it doesn't matter. Um, there are quarterbacks that can do that. And there are other quarterbacks who are just not programmed that way where they're like, I, my brain, every part of my brain is telling me not to do that because the odds of me completing that kind of pass or me doing anything like that um, are not good. Right. Even if you complete that kind of pass, it changes the game and gets you back into it. And it just, it's hard to change that. I feel like to change that kind of um, thought process for a quarterback, especially as polished as Cousins is now, where it's just you have to live with him in that kind of in that kind of zone, which is okay because you can win with him. It's just you have to put the right team around him. Correct. And, um, they, I think they've done a pretty good job of that. I mean, I think putting him there, there's a reason he chose the Vikings and his free agent uh, circus is. They have to, like, you can make the case the best wide receiver duo in football. Mm -hmm. You know what helps when you have a mid-tier quarterback is having elite talent around him. And I think outside of the Dalvin Cook stuff, um, I mean, hey, I think Laquan Treadwell is, what, three years away from being three years away at this point? So we're getting closer to the <laughs> breakout Laquan Treadwell year. So that's nice to know. Um, I love that Jarius Rice is still doing stuff for this team. Um that was wild to me. This Jarius, year. right? Oh, he was. He was. He's on the Panthers this year. Oh wait, yes, not Jarius. Yes. Right? Who was it then? Who am I thinking about? Aldrick Robinson came out in the order. We picked him Maybe up. Maybe that yeah. was it. Maybe it's Aldrick Robinson, former Falcon legend Aldrick yes. Robinson. Um, who am I thinking of? There's someone else. Who? There's someone who popped up on the. Was it Kendall Wright? Yeah, but he the the Vikings cut him after training camp. They did pick. Him up. There's someone else. Um, I know. I'm I mean, thinking of. Okay. As, as far as people that got catches, Aldrick Robinson was third. Treadwell's it must have been Aldrick I mean, Robinson. they had that, they had the nice one uh, Chad Beebe game. That was fun. He he could be. I think it was Aldrick yeah. Robinson. That makes sense. Um, because night what is he nineteen? Uh, seventeen. He took the yeah. okay. So he he was nineteen in Atlanta and he was seventeen. That's why I thought it was Jarius Wright. So Jarius Wright was like number seventeen. So well, that was anyway. one thing when Kendall Wright came, he was number seventeen. And okay, it. this so is like, all hey, getting very confusing. Wright, We've lost all. If you had a Jarius Wright jersey for some reason, you could keep it. And then they cut him, of course. <laughs> so, oh my god. Yeah. Okay weird um but yeah i just lost my train of thought because now this is going to drive me nuts to this receiving deal but anyway um so you're talking about just how you have to surround the team with cousins and that's why cousins yeah chose the vikings because i mean yeah if you would have asked almost anyone bef before the season who is top to bottom has the best roster in the nfc you'd have to go with the vikings you know well, maybe maybe the, the falcons well yeah before everyone got hurt even the, even mm -hmm. before their defense if absolutely fell apart they were they were a couple holes there i think but yeah they'd be mm -hmm. they were up there i hey we were both high on the falcons before the season it's just that they uh, yeah. dark times 
dark times, Eric. So be glad you're at least not um, the Atlanta Falcons right now, which are currently having the offseason from hell. Um, and it might kill front of the pod, uh, Falcoholic Chambers, Mr. Matt Chambers. I think this might actually kill him. Um, but yeah, the the Viking stuff, though, too, that I wanted to mention is that like the Sprano. So we talked about that. But what else can they do? Because Thielen's on this roster. Diggs is there. Dalvin Cook has to improve. I mean, I guess you could lock Latavius Murray up for another 10 years. I think there's a lot of meat on his bones. Um, you could tires on Doug Martin if they're if the Raiders are ready to move on in uh, Oakland, see if he can be that backup that uh, Minnesota, that ground and pound. Well, that Murray, uh, Mur- always well, Murray already was that uh, Oakland Raiders. Uh, I was going to say, they have yeah. to do a redux. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd rather throw a couple bucks back at Murray to bring him back than, uh, than the old muscle. What's Matt Asiata doing these days? Um, that's a great question. I mean, every time, if he scored one touchdown, he Score three touchdowns. That was kind of his thing. It felt like three auto. We called Peyton Hillis. <laughs> there we go. Let's bring Peyton Hillis back. I mean, Mike Allstott has to have a kid by now, right? <laughs> right. Jim Kleinsaucer. How old is he? 46. Yeah, I he, think he could still exactly. play. Yeah. Kleinsaucer. You didn't think I would throw that name out? No, there, that, that's he's he's uh, uh, Vikings Twitter, at least Hall of Famer. We, we love Kleinsaucer on these parts, even though growing uh, in college, he ran over my alma mater because he went to North Dakota and I went to North Dakota State. And I think uh, that was back when both teams were Division Two, and he ran all over North Dakota State at least two or three years when I was in college. So yeah. How are you feeling about uh, your coach leaving for Kansas State? Um, it was it was bittersweet. It was kind of inevitable. I mean, it was the same thing as Craig Bowl before him, before Coach Kleiman, that he mm-hmm. was they were going to move on to bigger and better things. But to move on to a Power Five school, that is pretty cool. Like that's kind of unprecedented. To, to make that jump. And I think Kansas State fans are going to be happy. I mean, everyone kind of thought there'd be a decent drop-off with, with <laughs> climbing, and if anything, the team got better. It, it, it's right. pretty crazy. So, um, yeah, I was a little um, upset at the timing because it was before the right before the semifinals against who I thought was the NDSU's toughest competition. But they won. They're back in Frisco. So at least I have one football team that doesn't let me down every season. <laughs> when did it start to feel like so the viking stuff too um they were gonna be a wild card team even if they made the playoffs i don't think they were like oh, the NFC they were just so stacked well, and they year, were gonna it wouldn't have mattered and they were gonna play that same bears team who if i'm the Bears, yeah. i would have let the vikings come back in that game because i would have said oh there is no way that yeah i'd be- rather play the vikings and nick Foles and the eagles for sure exactly but it's yeah, yeah. It, it's fine that the bears put us out of our misery a week earlier because yeah this team the way that they were playing and just kind of the mindset that they seem to have, they weren't going to do anything. Maybe they could have pulled out one crazy, okay, everything's going right for, you know, kind of like the Dolphins game, except against a good team a couple of weeks ago. But it, yeah, they weren't, they weren't making a run. They, they were too up and down all season. And especially with how they finished. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm fine with, uh, with not having to stay up writing another preview article this week. So, <laughs> well, if there's one thing it's good to be in the NFL these days, it's uh, the number one seed because I think Wingo tweeted this out last week that like five of the last six Super Bowl um, cont- uh, contestants have been number one seeds. Yeah, and especially so, I think out of the AFC has been the big one that like we have at least one of the conferences that's been like three or four in a row number one seeds. So yeah, it's probably the AFC. Um, but yeah, I just you can't like this. Just it was a season from hell for Minnesota. 
it, it's one of those hard pills to swallow where it's like, oh, we can just get in. We want to fight for it. And it's like, well, what, like even if the Falcons had clawed their way back, they're still losing that first round. Like there's just, yeah, it was nice. But the Falcons saw last year when they won in Los Angeles. And it's like, oh, I talked myself into it where I'm like, oh, my God, are they going to do right. this? Are they going to find a way around this? And they get all the way to Philly and they play Philly tough and then that's it. But it's Philly survived because guess what? They're the number one seed and they got to play at home the whole time and they made it to the Super Bowl because, I mean, it, I don't know if they do that if Nick Foles has to go on the road. No, and, the whole and especially with uh, the big turning point in that NFC Championship game was the, the pick six that the Eagles right. had to make it seven. Because the Vikings, if you remember, marched down the field in their first drive and scored. It was like 7-0. It was like, okay, the Vikings mean business. And that was literally the last good play they had of the game. And I think it's just it was a combination of that um, that lively crowd they have in, in Philadelphia and just kind of the shell shock that the Vikings could never get over. And, yeah, if that game's at U.S. Bank Stadium, and I I think it might, be, might have been a much different result. But, of course, yeah. um, then they – we got to see all those fun Eagles fans come and visit our fair twin cities <laughs> two weeks later. It was a, it was, it was great. It was kind of like the saints if they make the super bowl in Atlanta this year. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. It's um the city's going to have to shut down. I don't, I, I don't know how it's going to go. I just know it's not going to go well. Like what all it's going to include. I'm not certain, but um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not going to be good. You know what? Cause I, I went to a, um, a Premier League game last year when the Vikings played the Browns, I went mm-hmm. and saw my favorite team, West Ham, which is the most random Premier League team you can like. I watched them play. It was actually a road game, and it was still in London, but it was at Crystal Palace. And they re- they literally usher you in. like They have a, a bar or two that are the visitors' bars that you can go to. If you go to any other bar, it's your own fault. You'll get beat up, basically, is what I heard. <laughs> And then they, you walk, you make the walk, you go into your own visitors' gates, you get your own visitors' concessions and beer stands, and you go into your own visitors. Uh, there's two sections that are the visitor section, and it's all basically quarantined off by police officers the entire way around. So maybe that's what they'll have uh-huh. to do for the Super Bowl for all the Saints fans. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. I mean, it. it they're not going to do that because that would take too much organization and there's no way that happens. <laughs> it's just going to be a mess and downtown is just going to be a war zone yeah. for like 12 hours. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, it could be the best thing. Like if the saints were to lose in Atlanta, the Super Bowl in Atlanta, that the saints fans having to leave that game Ooh, boy, yeah. um, would be rough for them. But if they win and celebrate, yeah, that's that, that, that's a problem. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's very realistic and it's a very strong possibility, but um, we're not there yet, so we don't have to think about there it. There you yet. go. Um, what do you make of the Zimmer stuff? Do you think he should be on the hot seat? Because I don't at all. It, he's, the guy has gone 47, 32, and 1, I think, is his record. Yeah. And if you look back at all of the things he's had to endure both on and off the field, it's absolutely amazing that he has a record like that. I mean, it's with the, his own personal health stuff with his eye, Teddy's Bridgewater's knee exploding two days or you know a week before the season. He's done had a, a different starting quarterback every single year, and it's you know you have the Griffin thing this year. You have all sorts of you know different kind of things happening to the team that's really kind of out of his control and yeah i thought it was absolutely ridiculous for people calling for his head after i I think it's more of the you know everyone's just super mad and you know fan is short for fanatic and they kind of just went off on it and the spielman things i can kind of 
understand a little bit more just because, you know, they have failed in the offensive line. You know, it's been a problem for three years now. It's not, this isn't a new thing that all of a sudden popped up because of a couple of injuries. So I get that a little bit. Walking through that door. <laughs> exactly. You got to coach them up, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think it's more just the fact that I, I would like to see some continuity because again, this, the, the core is locked up for the next two seasons. Get it, bring the group back for this year, especially if it goes belly up again and they miss the playoffs again next year. Sure. Then you got to make some heads roll. I understand that, but I just think a little bit of continuity of the off season build around what you have. Cause they're again, this, they didn't, you know, eight, seven and one was very disappointing, but it's still technically in the world. Right. Exactly. And you, you, it's, it was a disappointment this year, but again, you, you play a second place schedule instead of a first place schedule now, and you have a yeah. couple bounces go your way. You know, you you have a kicker that makes field goals in week two, or if you, you don't absolutely lay an egg here or there, all of a sudden you're at ten or eleven wins and you're back in the tournament and everything is great again. So yeah, I I yeah. I just don't I get why people are burning everything down, fire everyone, but it's it's who do you not, want? Les you had Leslie Frazier yeah. in the fold for a while. You had Brad Childress like. Mike Zimmer is, it's like the Tomlin stuff where it's like, yeah, they're not a perfect coach, but like, you're not getting, not, you're, not everybody gets a Bill Belichick. It's just not how it works. Right. Like, just take, if you have a top 10 coach that you just know is steady and like could be the best coach in your franchise's history, just yeah, run I, with this because quit, it could be so much Exactly. Worse. And again, every time you change stuff, like, and that's another big thing. I think the Vikings suffered, especially at the beginning of the year, getting off to the slow start. They had the new offensive coordinator and they had a new quarterback. And that's a, just yeah. those two things alone are tough. And if you're trying to overhaul everything, that's going to set you. I mean, that's then you're looking at all these big, great contract extensions that you signed this previous offseason. You're basically throwing those away because those they're those are going to be expired by the time you you're back to contending. So, yeah. Here's what you do if you're the Vikings this offseason. You hire Bill Lazor. You also, so guess what? A lot of people didn't know this. Part of the reason the Bengals' offensive line was much improved this year, outside of trading for Cordy Glenn from Buffalo, they traded offensive line coaches with the Dallas Cowboys this offseason. The Cowboys fired their offensive line coach midway through the season because he was the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line coach last year, which was a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. So they promoted Mark Colombo, who's... Uh, just a, a very large human being that was a Detroit a, a Dallas Cowboy offensive lineman for a while. Um, so it didn't work out. It worked out in Cincinnati. And if that guy is not retained by that coaching staff, the guy who built the Cowboys offensive line with Zach Martin and Tyron Smith and everybody is available. That is what you're doing. He already has the history in Cincinnati now. Zimmer, just go pick up those guys. Just accumulate those <laughs> assets. Just p- take that whole offensive side of the ball bring them all into the Minnesota incubator and uh, draft another cornerback in the first round. <laughs> they just need to keep taking shots. That, like they're, That's what I would do. That's how you solve the Vikings is take another corner in the first round and then take <coughs> all the offensive coaches on the Bengals from this past year. Yes, I'm sure that would go over just fine with the Vikings fan base. If they don't take a... Point them to me. I would like for one of them. I'll fight them. I don't care. I think that's what you should do. I genuinely believe I would do that. That would be my... I, Zimmer, I know you're a long-time listener to the podcast. <laughs> you and Spielman, I know you're in your team meeting as you're listening to this. I I promise you, you can do no wrong with Bill Lazor, the Cowboys turned Bengals offensive line coach, and then drafting more corners. I think that's what you they're, do. They're, 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 they'll be fine at corner, unless maybe they get rid of. No, like they were starting guys. Yeah, this year but where you're like, it Uh-oh. was because 
Rose is hurt in their first round pick. My That's what happens. Hurt. Injuries happen. You can never have a nice They had Holton Hill. Robert Holton Alford. Hill came out and actually performed pretty well this year. Yeah, they're... And they had Mackenzie Alexander step up. He's still got another year left on his rookie deal. You can never have enough. No, and the Vikings lately. proved that. They proved that because yes. that they they drafted a corner in the first round and they're still thin by the end of the year. But I, yeah. they still got to get offensive line. The Falcons didn't even have an interception this year for, at corner. Okay, like it, it. I was like, I didn't think at all. Like, I, that's like no, no, no. At corner. Yeah. Wow, that's that's not great. It's no. almost as bad as Demonte Kazee had like ninety three. For himself but like yeah no not great no it's like the Raiders having 13 total sacks this season after getting rid of Cleo Mack well like there was a weird stat with that because I was talking to Austin about um the Raiders a little bit before Arden Key has like a billion almost sacks and it's like driving Paul Gunther their defensive coordinator because <laughs> he just gets his hand on the quarterback all the time and just never brings them down and he just doesn't know how to bring guys down and it's um, very frustrating because he has all this talent, but he actually doesn't get them on the ground, and uh, that's that's a problem if you're a pass rusher. Well, if Pro Football Focus still will like you though, because that still counts in their book almost as much. So. That's true. Hey, I love. So do I. I love those guys. I, I use yeah. I use them in all my articles. Yeah, they're great. Um, but yeah, I think that's what we do. I think Vikings fans will be happy. I think we're on the same page. I might <laughs> let George Edwards go. Like, just to use some sort of scapegoat, get someone else in there. If, you know, Joe Woods is available, bring him in from Denver. If he doesn't follow Vance Joseph wherever he's going, maybe sneak around that. I don't know if they've crossed paths, Zimmer and Woods, but um, I don't know. Or you could do the Dan Quinn thing and just fire Edwards and take control of the defense and say, this is this is my thing again. Well, Zimmer's already calling the plays anyway. So, it, I mean, George, George Edwards isn't doing a ton, I would say. So, and, and I mean, he is getting the the head coaching interview. So you never know. I mean, they he did, he was technically in charge of a, a very good defense the last couple of years. But yeah, I I I wouldn't. And Zimmer's still the guy calling the shots on the defense, and I I think that's the defense is still in very good hands with him. Okay, never can you can never have too many corners. You heard it here. Hey, first. no, I no, I heard it from Mike Zimmer first. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've always said me and Mike Zimmer, we're one in the there same you go. in more ways than one. <laughs> Eric, I appreciate it. Is there anything you uh, want to plug before we get out of here? Um, nope. Just check out for all the sudden off-season articles I'll be writing at dailynorseman.com. And you can always follow along with the snark and the fun at Eric underscore J underscore Thompson on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Do all those things. I do those things. And uh, I'm excited to uh, see which cornerback the Minnesota Vikings taking the first round next year and then uh, get that special shout out from Rick Spielman as I expect he will do. So that is cool. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Dare to dream, Eric. You got to dream big. Eric, I appreciate it. We'll talk soon, man. All right. Thanks a lot, Chase. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore thomas. And like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. 
Uh, thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.